0: Is your mic hitting something? It's me this whole time. I don't think so. It, it, everything's oh. just all haywire right now. Is it hitting something? I
1: think it Is might it be. My, I think it's was... hitting your shirt. And I think maybe it's you the whole time.
0: Dang it. It was, it was me. I've been <laughs> exposed. Oh,
1: baby. He's back. Look at him. He's back in his home studio. He's got his earpiece in. So he's not going to have his mic dragging on his shirt and haircut, haircut, like, uh, new man, trimming of the beard and everything trimmed
0: of the beard. Yep. Trimmed of the beard haircut. I got power back. Chris, you got power back. We were this close to doing a podcast together in the same room for the first time in what feels like probably seven or eight years, but that did not happen. We both got our power back just in time.
1: Well, I know we did, but I, you're right. I mean, I'm kind of, I was kind of excited to do it I with you in person. Um, my only thing is like, there's no food at NBC Sports right now. And of course, I'm up right. at 5.30 in the morning doing the show. And I, I got to eat something between then. So it just made sense to go home. But like, you want to make a pack maybe next week? You want to do it together in person? Do I something like that? I would love to do
0: that. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Let's plan for it. I, I, I am like uh yeah cuz we were both excited about it but i am a little disappointed that we both just like bailed back to our home studio immediately <laughs> when yeah. our power came <laughs> came back on so we weren't that desperate to be back in the same room together but uh yeah we we had uh, no power here in Connecticut where i live for i think it was 6 days which is m- more of a problem here at this place because we are we're on well water and so then we don't have water either um right. so i learned i learned two things chris while while i was home with no power I learned how to chop up some wood with an ax. Wow. I did that for like the first time in my life. And I have two blisters to uh, to show for it. I'm not like that kind of a guy, but I, I'm developing it here and developing a new skill. And number two, uh, I learned how to flush my toilet by just pouring water into it. So I was able to big <laughs> <yeah, make> jugs <laughs> we, of water. And now I know how to do that.
1: We had similar weekends then. That's good to hear. Yes, because... <laughs> You're right. I'm on the same issue, Ahmed. Like, we have well water here. And when you don't have electricity, the pump brings the water to the house. And so we, the idiots that we are here in the Sims family, we do, we had a generator, we have a generator. And when when the power first went out, the generator kicked on, but nothing in the house kicked on. And we went like a day without realizing we had like a switch turned off on our generator. (laughs) And I was having the same issue you do. So like Saturday morning for a visual of everybody, I had to wake up early and go to the bathroom. Like I I had to go, sorry. And there's no water in the toilet. And you're like, oh wait, I gotta go to the bathroom. Like, what am I gonna do? And I found myself walking up to my pool with my robe on with a big bucket and using pool water to put in the back of my toilet so there I could go to the bathroom. <laughs> so, uh, gross, but that's what we had to work with this weekend.
0: <laughs> I, I, I legit didn't know where that story was going for a second when you said you were heading Y'all up to your scared. pool and needed to go <laughs> to the bathroom. I was, like, oh, <laughs> I was like, I'm not swimming in Chris's pool uh, for the first future. No, foreseeable don't do that. You're year. right.
1: And well done by you um, intentionally wearing the dark shirt today because, yes. you know, there's been a lot of talk about your armpits on social media and things like that, so all right good you're looking good so far looking good
0: some someone legit sent me a uh, sent me a direct message such a nice person uh saying that he had a similar problem as me where he would sweat even in a cold room just sitting down and he sent me a picture of the deodorant that he uses uh and so i'm going to go to the store i'm going to check out that deodorant and get it and it could solve my problem here so we got some super nice listeners chris and we got super smart listeners as well because we did a whole Ask Me Anything pod. Um, we came up with the uh, idea Pete did just a couple hours ago, and we already got legit like 30 or 40 really interesting questions. So they have they have come through once again, and they have saved us once again. So Chris, are you prepared for a all Ask Me Anything podcast here?
1: I am. And you know, I, I mean, it, it's great to hear. And it, again, th- we're going to have to continue to be creative, you know. But my, my expertise, or where I love to dive into, is football. And Preseason football, X's and O's, scouting, yeah. schemes, things like that. We're, we don't have that. So we're going to have to make do with what we have right now. And that's where well, like, people with the podcast, too, I, I, I've been tossing around the idea. Maybe we'd get into more X's and O's. Maybe we ask the fans to ask more specifics about what a scheme this scheme is or how is it taught or this specific play that might have been important last year and we break that down. I mean, I'd love to do that stuff too. And of course, if we're going to be in person, we could probably pull yeah. it off next week if we got a whiteboard or something like that. So just throwing ideas yeah. out there and and hopefully uh, the fans will want some knowledge as, as far as that's concerned.
0: My favorite part of the pod is uh, just sitting at home and seeing the our text thread and Matt or Pete or myself text ideas out there of what we can do with the pod. And they're all centered around you doing more work like that's my favorite part of the of preparing for the pod <laughs> yes. it's like we did top 10 wide receivers and they're like hey let's do a top 10 cornerbacks we'll do that we'll throw that at Chris and then uh one of our uh one of our uh fans out there tweeted us that we should make up a fake team and I had the idea I was like Chris should fill that team out with his favorite players and I was like yeah we all have these great ideas of how you can do more work which is right. one of my favorite things of this pod
1: I appreciate that too. I know. I sit there and look at that group text and I'm like, oh yeah, great idea. I'll only have to sit there for nine hours and watch film to figure that one out, but no problem. But
0: I did my job because I texted a good idea and then I just sit back and watch you do all the work. That's my oh, job. Oh baby,
1: the life of a producer. Where can I sign up <laughs> for that job? <laughs>
0: all right, let's let's uh, let's get into a few of these because we got really good ones here. Um, we'll start with something, Chris, that that your dad and and you were talking about with the arm strength, uh, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, really interesting conversation about, you know, hardness at miles per hour, as opposed to who can throw at the farthest and, and all that. This one comes from Sheldon. He says, can you help me understand the difference between throwing harder and longer? Like one as a faster traveling ball question mark, because if I'm right, the faster traveling ball is farther and harder, assuming they're both thrown at the same trajectory. So, You know, you were trying to make the difference. Your dad ultimately said he thinks Josh Allen can throw it farther and harder. Um, You think there's a little more nuance to that to that conversation. So so what is the difference between harder and longer as far as throwing the football?
1: Well, it's a great question. And I think the first thing is they're like, yeah, more times than not. I, I understand what he's trying to say. You know, if you have more ball speed. Right. And you throw the ball at the same trajectory, then. Yeah, the guy that can create more speed with the football should be able to throw it farther, and right. that's that's true for the most part, but not always because there are some like other factors that go into throwing a deep ball, right? Like Vinny Testaverdi and his time could throw at 80 yards, you know, he could do that now. He couldn't sit there and lay into a fastball like Dan Marino or Brett Favre could and throw a 105 mile per hour fastball over the middle you know, the way they could. Now, he could throw it 101 or 100, you know what I'm trying to say? He could still right. throw it really hard, but there's the 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 thing that, I guess, the, the best way to describe this is kind of like launch angles, right? And Dan Marino is one of the perfect guys to really talk about. Dan Marino, we know, quick release, had incredible arm speed, and yeah. that led to, you know, just shoom, Mark Duper and Mark Clayton and lasers all over the field. Right. But He also did not have the most flexible of motion or the most flexible, you know, lumber area to be able to. And again, I wish I could stand up, but to be able to get into if we had if
0: we had come through with the in-person pod, you could have stood up.
1: We would have done it. But to be able to get into these type of positions. Right. Like anybody go out there and watch the Hail Mary from Aaron Rodgers against your Detroit Lions, you know, from a few years back on that Thursday night game. His body, I mean, his upper body is almost like horizontal to the roof of the stadium. And then he has an arm that's really flexible. So all of that, he can delay it and launch it up on a, on a, on a launch angle yeah. that a guy like Dan Marino is not capable of doing. Not because he doesn't have a great arm. It's the rest of his body that can't load up and create that type of long distance power. So, if that makes sense at all, hundred
0: percent, it's a certain amount of flexibility that you need in order to get your body in those positions. Flexibility, torque,
1: right, right. Flexibility, flexibility in your waist, your shoulder, your arm. You know, the torque you can create with the opposites between your lower and half, the lower half and your upper half, and then also, you know, having your leg, your back leg, in the proper position to be able to use that to launch launch even more power into it. Uh, right. So that, I hope, can explain it to, you know, to people out there. But, yeah, it, it, it is. It's it is weird because, like, let's just say Dan Marino, he could throw anything 30 yards and shorter harder than Randall Cunningham. But he can't – but, like, Dan Marino maxed out at, like, 52, 53 yards when he threw a deep ball. And then there's yeah. Randall Cunningham who could throw the ball 78, not you know, 80 yards almost. Yet he couldn't create the same type of power on those 15, 20 yard routes that a Dan Marino could. So it is about yeah. flexibility, levers, all those type of things play into the, especially the deep ball throwing.
0: If you had to choose one, if you could only have one elite ability, whether like you're Dan Marino and you could throw it on a line for 40 yards or you can throw it 80 yards, but you maybe can't throw those out routes quite as uh, with high velocity. Which one would you pick?
1: I would probably take the Dan Marino route. I just think it's more, you know, relative to what you'll have to do on a consistent basis rather than, yeah, it's cool to throw it 80 yards. And obviously you have a strong arm, but it's very rare. You have to really launch a ball like that in an NFL game and use max power. I mean, it almost never happened to me within the real, you know, other than a Hail Mary or anything like that. So It's very rare that you have to do that other than a few circumstances. And, uh, you know, we've seen some guys be able to do it at a special level. But that's where Mahomes and Allen would be really interesting to me because Mm -hmm. they both have that limberness and that flexibility and that power and all of that to launch the ball far and high and, and, and put it in a trajectory angle that, you know, a lot of quarterbacks won't be able to replicate.
0: So I feel bad. It's a hard one. A hundred percent. No, that was super clear. Um, And I feel bad because I let your dad down because you were talking about the velocity at which they throw and your dad brought up the combine um, miles per hour, which they do test there. And he was like, oh, um, it looks like you're looking it up right now. I did not. I I, I (laughs) failed, Um, but I am looking at it right now and it is really interesting. I'm looking at Josh Allen in 2018. Now, not all quarterbacks throw at the combine like Joe Burrow and Tua did not throw last year. Yeah. Um, in 2018, Sam Darnold did not throw. Um, but Josh Allen, he's got the highest recorded here that I can see going back to 2008. He was at 62 miles per hour out of his hand. Yeah. Uh, uh, Baker Mayfield was not far behind. He was right around 60 miles per hour. And then right at the bottom, the the least, Lamar Jackson, 49 miles per hour uh, in 2018 of all the quarterbacks who threw. That's crazy to me yeah. that he well, was that low.
1: It is. His arm is stronger than that. You know, I don't know if he knows, or especially at that time, maybe some of the proper mechanics to control the ball and also throw it really hard. See, that's where the really gifted ones are. That's where Mahomes and Josh Allen and Rodgers and Brett Favre and John Elway, you guys, they can throw the ball as hard as they want. And the room for error, you know, only expands a little bit where you yeah. just go, oh, man, you know, usually they hit the bullseye, but now they're throwing it as hard as they can. Now they're missing the bullseye by an inch or two. And, you know, there's some guys out there that when you do that, they fall apart completely where you go, oh, man, the guy's a pretty good thrower. And then all of a sudden he's got to, like, throw one to a tight window and you go, oh, my gosh, the ball, you know, exploded on him because he right. loses control of it and he can't piece it all together to – make the ball get the power that his body wants to give it and all those things. So uh, I'm not shocked to hear that about Lamar, you know, and and also it can be misleading sometimes too, because sometimes guys will go away from what their normal motion is just to throw it hard, right. To where you go, okay, yeah, he threw it hard, but does he throw it like that in a regular game? And, you know, there are going to be some of those guys too. Now, Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield. No, they're the guys that, they can throw it as hard as they want, whenever they want, and they're not going to lose control of the football.
0: So 2017, um, Patrick Mahomes' year. Who do you think threw the hardest at the combine of, the, see, of the quarterbacks in so 2017?
1: Mahomes, Watson, Trubisky. Um, who else am I? Just give me some other names that I need to be in this conversation. CJ
0: Beathard, Trevor Knight, Davis Webb, Joshua Dobbs, Seth, Seth Russell.
1: okay. I Nathan bet you, Peterman. I'm going to bet you Davis Webb was probably up there.
0: Am I right? He was number one. Good job. Yeah. I tried to throw him in the middle there. Like I wasn't even very thinking well, about him. Well done. Uh, <laughs> pretty good by me. Uh, yeah. He was just ahead of, uh, of him. He was like uh 56 miles per hour to the left. Patrick Mahomes was throwing 55 miles an hour to the right and left. So he was number two. Uh, Deshaun Watson dead last 45, 45 miles per hour for Deshaun Watson that's
1: See, another one of those things it. like
0: the thing with Lamar yeah
1: yeah they just they didn't get it yet and Deshaun Watson that was one of the knocks for me coming out of Clemson was you know man guys are so wide open he never really has to make a big time like oh I gotta squeeze this in there to tight coverage I've had this conversation with Deshaun he basically got to training camp and realized like oh wait this is I have to throw it like that to get this completion Okay, I can do that. I just never had to do it. So, you know, that shows you how gifted he is. And, you know, there's a difference here, too. It's a great conversation, even with the Davis Webb thing. Yeah, he could throw it hard. He had a real long and deliberate delivery and all that. Great. See, Mahomes could throw the ball that hard with very little effort and probably just about any delivery. And didn't need to be make it perfect every time and load up the way. You know that that's another part of this conversation too. Yeah, it's great if you could throw it hard, but Mm. can you throw it hard in a compact, concise manner? Not to one where we're going. Whoa, is this going to take seven seconds before he finally lets the ball go? You know, by that time, who gives a damn how hard you throw it? The coverage is there, and it doesn't matter how hard you can throw. It's going to be going to be incomplete. It's about the guys who can still throw it hard with great ease, or you know, with people around them and they can't load up all the way and still make, oh my gosh, that was a fastball and he barely had any room to orchestrate there. That's why Mahomes and the Rodgers and guys like that are special because they can yep. they can do that no matter what.
0: And why like a guy like Dan Marino was superhuman because he had the quickest release and he could throw it like a laser every time. Lace, which, which right, exactly right. Do you have any idea what your miles per hour were? You know, the highest I, you ever got up to?
1: I really don't. And I don't even... I think I don't even remember what I got at the combine. I, I want to say I was like around fifty-eight, somewhere in there. Uh, which would have been dis- disappointing me. Listen, I don't think I'm Josh Allen or anything like that. But I think I could have probably flirted with, you know, getting close to sixty, certainly, uh, somewhere in that range. Would do you have anything in front of you? Do you does it say anything?
0: Yeah, thirty-eight, which is crazy. Yeah,
1: no. fuck you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I can't find it. Maybe Pete will be able to find it at uh, at some point here, but no, I, I I can't. Um, that that's super interesting though, and I I could look at that uh, those list of miles per hour and just how relevant it can be and how irrelevant it can be for for some of the other quarterbacks. Yes, out Yes, right,
1: right. Uh, this you is very apply relevant on the field. That's uh, just like any. Yeah, you, you could talk yep. great and be the greatest talker ever. But when we say action and start recording and put a mic in front of you, can you still talk clearly and be great then? Right. And not everybody can always do that. That's why you're Ahmed Fareed.
0: And yeah. You're we, you we, millions. we can't do it from, <laughs> from time to time, as <laughs> no, people notice. Um, cool. Pete says apparently it has an NA for Chris's ball velocity at the combine. Not sure how much they kept those records back then, or maybe it just didn't show up. Right. It, it's got to be a certain speed to get a reading. And it was not able. To I reach think I that broke
1: position. the radar gun, and they just were like, <laughs> "Not applicable. We're not sure."
0: <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's super interesting. Digging back into your past, and this one does as well. Malik Gordon says, "What was your favorite pass concept as a quarterback?" So, think of all the all the different pass concepts that were that were out there. What was your favorite to run as a QB? Well,
1: there, there's there's so many. I, I of course loved anything aggressive or pushing the ball down the field. I'm not going to sit here and tell you like, Oh, the four yard slant route with the guy in the flat at two yards is my favorite play. I mean, yeah. no, certainly not. The wheel not.
0: route, the wheel route to the running back out of the backfield, <laughs> which yeah. I, I've heard is one of the hardest passes to complete for a quarterback.
1: It can be very hard. It definitely is. It's hard to dictate the speed in which they're running. They're running backs they They can take some weird angles at times. Yeah. Uh, so it is not as easy as it looks sometimes, but You know, I loved anything play-action. We had a play called, like, Pass 97 Power X Special. And this was a play-action pass where Joey Galloway and I had to read it on the run. And basically, Mm. he had 20 yards to make a decision to see where where the safeties were. When he got to that 20-yard mark, he had to make a decision and go, okay, I think I'm close enough to where, boom, I'm going. And I'm gonna run by these guys, and Chris is gonna launch me a bomb, or he had to go. Wait, they're way too deep. I'm not gonna be able to beat them. Let me put the brakes on and run a basically like a 22 to 24 yard curl route. I loved that play. That was one of my favorites. We had a lot of different ways to do it, uh, and really a lot of the times it was a total sellout for the run and just a one man route, or maybe just Joey Galloway and like the tight end in the flat. But I love that because it led to a lot of big plays and it was aggressive. But like if I had to get into a true concept, Ahmed, uh, we had a play in New England, and New England's different than most teams, as I told you before. their plays are more times than not, all purpose. You know, John Gruden would run plays where we would always call two plays in the huddle. Or if we didn't call two plays in the huddle, one side of the formation was meant for too deep coverage, and the other side of the formation, was meant for a one deep coverage, a single safety type coverage. And then you had to play off of that. New England doesn't do that. New England just goes, no, we got these plays. We think they're good. You know, we've thought about it and taught it the right way to where it, there, there should be somebody open against every coverage. Somebody should be open. And it was called 64 sticks, gun trips, right? 64 sticks and basically the single receiver to my, my left would run a 20-yard comeback. So you'd drop back, and you'd look at your qu- you know, comeback. Okay. And if he wasn't there, there was a deep cross by the tight end route. The tight end would run like a 22-yard crossing route. So there you are. You're looking to your left for the comeback. Oh, wait, he's not open. Okay, now let me just look a little bit down the middle of the field because now my tight end is coming into my vision, right? I'm not having to, like, flip all the way across the field. And, not, and throw it where I can't see it. Anything you want to say or ask so far before I keep laboring No, that's here? good. No, okay, no. <laughs> good. So, yes, so
0: you look at that We're in the middle of a play. We're in the middle of a play, Chris. Sorry, you do much sorry, time. Sorry, coach,
1: sorry, coach. Hold on. The, the pass rush is getting here. So you look to your left with that comeback. Now you got the deep cross coming as your number two guy. And then, okay, that's not there. Now the slot receiver to your right, you know, there's three receivers to your right. There's the tight end, the receiver, and the receiver. So the tight end ran that deep cross. Now, like the Wes Welker, the Julian Edelman would run what they called like a jiggle route. They called it a jiggle route because it was 12 yards and he would run straight across. So now just think about that. You're going, wait, come back, deep cross. Oh, wait, here comes another crosser right into my vision. So you're not having to read a whole lot and you're being able to continually to see the picture, not just flip it aside going, where is everybody? Let me figure it out real quick. And he had a rule that jiggle route, where if it was two man and two man, you know, they know there's a the safety deep, and now it's man-to-man coverage underneath. Well, two-man, he could he had the option of going on the in cut and replacing. Okay, I'm getting two in the weeds there, but this is just my favorite play. So comeback, yeah. deep crosser, jiggle route. And then there was a 20-yard comeback, 25-yard comeback on the way opposite side. Just in case, like, whoa, if you have enough time, it's a long route. He'll be there about the time you get there after going through the first three reads. Or at the very least, if the pocket's collapsing, you know you have somewhere over there to throw the ball out of bounds. You could throw it high and far over that receiver's head, and you won't get intentional grounding. That was one of my favorite plays. I I was a big fan of uh, 64 sticks.
0: So if I'm understanding it correctly, it's all kind of just playing out in front of you. It's like your natural way your eyes would progress over your, from one receiver to the next. It wasn't, it was almost like second nature or reflex. Exactly, and it wasn't something you're you had just to think playing.
1: About. Exactly, That that that's the beauty of the New England offense. So yes, Brady, he of course was paying attention to coverages, but if he did get fooled, it wasn't like, oh crap, I'm on the wrong side of the field here. Or wait. You know, I got to go over to this guy because coach said I'm fooled and they're playing this coverage. I need to go look at this guy. No, the read stayed the same all the time. And Mm -hmm. even when Brady, let's say, knew, oh, I'm not going to have that comeback to my left, my first read, he still would have been taught to look at it and give it time to move the coverage over there because you know you're going to have two guys coming that way. To where we would like you to look at that guy to open that window for the other two guys that are coming over into that direction. Right. And yes, like you said, that's the perfect way to put it. It just lets you play. It doesn't make you overthink and worry about, oh, did I see the right coverage and do all of those type of things. And uh, it's part of, you know, when you have Brady who's smart and an awesome system that goes with it, and a guy who can, you know, hit the bullseye more times than not. That's when you have a an awesome thing going like New England did.
0: At a certain point, we're going to have to have you break down the opposite of that and the Gruden play calls and the Gruden offense and the green right X shift to Viper right 382 X stick looky. Stick looky, right.
1: Yeah, I know. Well, you know, New England, (laughs) as you just I just told you, right, would be gun trips right, 64 sticks. That was the word. Now, within that, there was a learning because you had to learn what sticks meant, right? So – the, the good thing is, when you learn that way, you have to think about the play in totality and the actual play, all right? And that's kind of the genius of it. You know, with, with Gruden's offense, every guy, you know, X stick, every guy gets a tag, which makes right. it a lot of language. And that's where it's a little different. You know, New England, I've said this before, one of their big plays in the red zone is 72 Pearl Smash Wheel. You know, what does Pearl mean? Well, this is what New England does. Pearl means post and curl, and they combine it. So now, if you ever heard the word Pearl, you go, oh, wait, the inside guy's got the post, the outside guy got the curl. No matter what the formation is, you know it that way. And in Gruden's offense, no, it would be uh, a few more words to describe those type of things.
0: So we'll do that next week. We'll get you on the whiteboard, and we'll break down some of those Gruden plays. Sure. write them all out and then show exactly what each player, uh, does that. but let's, let's let's stick with, uh, let's stick with Bill Belichick. You were on the staff there with new England for a year. This one comes from, uh, Kaku Valdivia. I think I nailed that. Uh, what is one thing Bill Belichick told you that, uh, that stuck with you? So I'm curious, you know, how, how close, how, much communication did you even have? I mean, you're basically on the staff there with New England for a year. How much communication did you have with with Bill Belichick? And what was one thing you said that you remember to this day?
1: Gosh, I mean, very little communication. I probably really. Talked to him, I probably talked to him more in my few conversations leading up to me getting the job than <laughs> I did in my full like 18 or 19 months there working there after that. Right. Really. So no, no doubt about it. Yes, because. You know, I was just a, a you know a, a a do it boy. Uh, uh, what what's the word I want to say? A peons. What what's that word they call like you know insignificant idiot, right? Uh
0: Gopher. Yeah. Gopher, Pete goes gopher. Right.
1: I was a I was a low man on the totem pole, and I had to take my orders within my command chain. I mean that's yeah. the way it works. It's New England. There's a command chain, and I had to listen to George Gottsi because. He was kind of in my position before me, and then he's listening to Chad O'Shea, who's the receiver coach, and telling him. And Chad O'Shea is listening to Josh McDaniels, and Josh McDaniels is listening to Bill Belichick. So Bill doesn't want to hear from me, and uh, nor did he, you know. But <laughs> gosh, where did I? Where do I even start? I mean, there's so many things that are so impressive and next level about New England. One of the yeah. things I'll always say that will always stick out to me. Is I had a sign upstairs in my dungeon area in the front office in New England that said, uh, "We are not just collecting players; we are building a team." That's just one of the things I think of right away when I think of New England because that's them. They're not like, "Oh, that's the best player available. We'll take him. We'll draft him." Yeah. Well, coach, you have you know twelve corners that were the best player available, and you know he realizes, "Oh, that's stupid." So they're in about building a team. What fits that scheme? What's the personnel? I mean, what's the personality of that person to fit their scheme and their, and the personality of the organization and coaches. So that would be the one thing, but I think the biggest thing more than anything on it is not just like one word. It's just the daily grind and humbleness and just put your head down and work environment there that, to me, just blows the rest of football, the rest of the NFL, out of the water. You know, if right. it, it, most teams win six games in a row, Monday and Tuesday can be kind of loose in a football facility. In yeah. New England, you could win 10 in a row, and you come in on Monday, Tuesday, and you're like, wait, did, have we won 10 in a row or lost 10 <laughs> in a row? What yeah. the fuck is going on here? You you still can't
0: talk to Bill Belichick, no matter what your winning streak is at.
1: Exactly right. So, you know, that's, I think, the thing that will always jump out to me. It's just the continued grind, attention to detail, and never letting, like, the focus get too far down the road, always keeping it right where it needed to be. Uh, So I know I don't mean to be a cop-out with that answer, but that's really the biggest thing that I'll always remember about being there.
0: Yeah. And it's like what uh, people say about rich people. They go, you're rich. Why do you care about not spending? Well, you spend your money. And they're like, well, that's how I got to have a lot of money is that I didn't spend the money. It's like success. It's like, well, relax a little bit. Why don't you just, you know, you you're the Patriots. You've had your success. You've You've proved you're good. Uh, But that's how they that's how they reach that level. Exactly. Right. Right. It's It's not not taking the foot off Not not their DNA. That's right. Patriots have had some success against uh, Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. This one comes from Orion Cheselwet. We've heard from him before. He, he gives us uh, great questions from time to time. This is another one. Is there a season from... 2012 to 2019, he says, for which you would personally have given Russell Wilson your MVP vote. The 2019 regular season was arguably his best, but it would have been hard for anyone to look past Lamar. So you've brought this up before. Pete noted that uh, Russell Wilson has never received a vote for MVP as long as he has been in the league, has been one of the best quarterbacks uh, in football. He is your number two quarterback currently going into the 2020 season, uh, but has never gotten an MVP vote. But Orion brings up a good point there may be a good reason for that. It's just that he has never been the best quarterback or at least had the best year of any quarterback in the NFL since 2012. So can you think of any season in the last, you know, seven or so where you would have given Russell Wilson the MVP vote over, over the guys who got it? Because I'm th- I'm looking at his stats right here, Chris, and it looks like, you know, 2014, 2015 were really good years yeah, uh, for Russell Wilson. But that was 2014 was Aaron Rodgers. Great year. 2015 was Cam Newton, awesome. Yeah, year. which is a great so, year, right? Yeah, so it's like he, he has been so consistent, but has he had that year where he's been the best?
1: No, I, he's been a little unfortunate that way. You know, I'm trying to think too. Just like, all right, so wait, last year was Lamar. 2018 yep. was Mahomes. Yep. Who won the MVP in 2017? Was that Brady, Brady. that year? Yeah, that was Brady. Brady that Lewis year,
0: yeah, right.
1: You know, when I look at it, I just think really any of the last three years were MVP caliber football by Russell Wilson. He's been unfortunate. You know, Mm -hmm. he had really awesome years where two guys had like transcendent, you know, type years in Lamar and Mahomes. And then with the Brady thing, that was, let's see, that wasn't the year he lost. He didn't lose the four games that year, but. You know his popularity was sky high that year. That was after the the comeback against the Falcons. I think he had yep. like what twenty eight interceptions and two touch or twenty eight touchdowns, two interceptions that year in twenty seven something like that. Twenty seventeen, he, he won the NBA. No, that was twenty
0: sixteen. Twenty seventeen was uh, thirty two touchdowns, interceptions. But he led the NFL in yards, yards per game. Russell Wilson did lead the NFL in touchdown passes in twenty seventeen, but. But Brady had a monster year forty five hundred yards for Brady that year
1: yeah well and, and again, you know Russell plays on a team and offense that's not quarterback friendly right and a lot of his asked a lot is asked of him to just do it by himself you've heard me argue many many times, so yeah uh yeah he's just been unlucky he really has and you know as far as mVP is considered you know i yeah let's look at some of the, I'd love to dive back into some of these stats like Russell Wilson. I know, and I can't give the specifics, is one of the league leaders the last four or five years in percentage of yards of his team that he, you know, yards, touchdowns. I remember Collinsworth on MB, you know, NBC Sunday Night Football showed it one night because I had been saying, like, he's a one-man band. He does it all himself. And I remember then on, a, like, a Sunday night game, they they had a one-man band graphic, and he was responsible for – you know, the most touchdowns on his team compared to anybody in football. You know, the percentage of yards he produces on a weekly basis compared to the rest of football, that's where he's special. So, right. yeah, he's, he's MVP caliber player. I'm not sure if he ever gets it, though, until they open up the offense and really play through him, as we've discussed a few times here through the spring, instead of like, you know, what we say, play the defense, run game, and then, oh, Russell, there's seven minutes left in the game and we need two touchdowns in these last 7 minutes can you deliver uh and more times than not he does and more times than not that's when he gets a lot of his stats too which is not yeah. fair either
0: he's so he's so good uh he has only had 3 4000 yard seasons in 9 years but that speaks to the the offense Pete notes here you've noted that that as well yeah he he is just so much fun to watch one of the reasons I'm looking forward to the 2020 season and I hope it happens this one comes from Adam Ross 11 is the NFL even going to happen this year so he wants uh let's give him some optimism let's let's give him the reasons why this could work out what is your true honest feeling of of the NFL season this year and the likelihood that we get it
1: I'm feeling great. I I really am. I I think as every day goes by here, I feel better and better about it. You know, the teams seem to have good protocols set in place. You know, we're not hearing about outbreaks through teams or anything like that. And I know they're still being careful and everything like that, you know. But from what I've heard, and I said this today on PFT, you know, a few of my coach friends and people like that that I text with, you know, their kind of thing is like, Man, every day is a battle with Corona because there's just, you know, it's nothing smooth, right? Oh, yeah. hey, you know, well, we're, we're supposed to have an 830 meeting. Well, you know, guys are still getting COVID testing. They're not here yet. They're, they're, they're out in the lobby waiting to be passed through or, you yeah. know, hey, where's the defensive line? We're having the defensive line meeting. Well, you know, this guy was in a special teams meeting and the D lines meeting on the other side of the stadium. So it's it's a 10 minute walk for this guy to get there. You know so yeah. those are the issues but I think they're feel good about all the protocols in place and then the one thing that's been like uh, repeatedly said to me is the players are they're taking a lot of responsibility from what I've heard they're they're on each other's asses like the older players are, are on, on the young guys making sure they don't fuck this up for everybody so yeah. uh, I think that's going to be the best way to, to make this keep going, of course, is be safe and do all the things when you leave the field. But these veterans are going to have to stay in the ears of these young guys and make them feel a little uncomfortable if they're the ones to, to mess up.
0: Yeah, that's always been the case. I mean, it's what we saw with the NBA, right? They have that hotline where NBA players can call and rat out anonymously some of their yeah. teammates who are not following the protocols, which is what you want. You don't want one person to blow it all up for for everyone else or blow it up for for your team, I think one of the hardest things, Chris, for the coaches this year is being able to be as uh, as tough and intimidating with the big shield over their face. It's all it, like near
1: impossible, right? Oh, it, it's 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 hilarious I <laughs> I Facetime some of these guys. Yeah, I was on Facetime with a head coach and an offensive coordinator the other day on Friday or Saturday, and you know, yeah, they're wearing masks and you can't hear the right way. And you're going, what? You know, it's just, yeah, I'm sure guys are getting chuckles out of seeing like (laughs) Bruce Arians come in like he's like some mad scientist with all that stuff (laughs) on. But, you know, the whole year is a psychological experiment. You know, that's the (laughs) one thing I'm learning right now from watching the other sports, right? You know, it's in some ways to me, it's going to be interesting. It's it's evened out the competitive balance a little bit to me. You know, I think about the PGA Championship yesterday with a young kid, 23 years old. He just wins that. You know, does that happen? If there's 200,000 screaming fans there. Right. I don't know. You know, does you know LeBron James' greatness is the ability he could play in front of people and people can be telling him he sucks and booing him, and then you know. He loves it and rises the occasion and yet can block them out and still do things the right way. That's the greatness of LeBron James. Who the hell gives a shit about that in the Disney bubble? There's nothing to worry about that. So now the guy who's nervous and listening to every little thing from the crowd and all those things, he can play free. I just think it's an interesting thing to watch for here. You know, like we know Brady can block anything out. Who are the quarterbacks that can't block things out? You know, maybe they have a little bit better of a year than we expect because, there's not that, hey, you know, you suck, you suck, you miss this guy, like, you don't have to yeah. hear and that. Then the, and
0: then the player that goes, I do suck, man, this <laughs> is terrible, and gets really, <laughs> yeah, no, I think that too, it's like, who, who are these players we've heard all the time, oh, he's more of a practice player, looks great in practice, get him on the field during the game in front of 50,000 fans, he falls apart, yes. those players won't have that issue this year, yeah, that's a I know. great it's point.
1: Very interesting. Um,
0: Okay, so uh, this is an interesting one, too. So this one comes from, oh, man, these are these are hard. To, oh, Bonilla Isaac, got it. Bonilla Isaac asks, would you be more surprised if all four teams from the NFC West or AFC West made the playoffs? So which would surprise you most? So here's the AFC West. You got Kansas City, you got Denver, you got Oakland, you got the Chargers. You think it's more surprising – Less surprising if all those teams made the playoffs or if in the NFC West, San Francisco, Seattle, Rams, Arizona.
1: Hmm. That is a good one. Because, you know, really, first off, let's just break it down and flush out. The NFC West, I don't think, you know, we're, we're expecting the 49ers and the Seahawks to be in there. Certainly. Yep. yep. I don't think, I don't think, I'm not going to be shocked if the Rams are in there either. Mm-hmm. Now the Cardinals are the big question mark, and and right. and as much as I think they're going to be improved and more fun to watch, I'm not I'm not sitting here thinking they're a playoff team this year yet. You know, my my our buddy Florio thinks they're going to the playoffs this year. I'm not ready to do that. That defense stunk last year. There's a lot of young guys on that football team. I just don't think they're gonna. I think they're two years away. I think they're going to be competitive and better. But mm-hmm. now you go to the AFC West. Okay. Oof. you know, we know the chiefs chiefs They're are in. going, you're right.
0: Denver was seven and nine last year. Oakland was seven and nine last year. Chargers were five and 11 last year, bad down year after a good year. That so here's just, the, here's how I look at it. So it's yeah. almost, it's, so the, you're going to beat up on each other. Right. And I think the problem with the NFC West is that San Francisco and Seattle may be so much better that they may beat up on the Rams in Arizona may make it tougher for them. Whereas you won't necessarily have that with the AFC West: Denver, Oakland, the Chargers could all maybe squeak a eight and eight, nine and seven season together and and squeak in. So I'd I'd probably go with the AFC West more likely that all four of those teams make the playoffs.
1: Yeah, thinking that it'll be more competitive out of the bottom three teams I, and it won't yeah. be as much cancel culture there, basically, is yeah, what you're cancel saying. Cancel culture won't be
0: a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. cancel culture won't be a thing in the NFC West.
1: I'm trying to look here, too, because I know the NFC West plays the AFC East and the NFC East, oh. which is certainly you know, not the worst divisions to be playing. And then the mm-hmm. AFC West, I'm trying to figure out who they're playing this year. They're playing the mm. NFC a, NFC South and the AFC East.
0: Ooh, I, I still, so NFC South is pretty tough.
1: I know, I know. It's That's it a, is all tough. Listen, mm. I think I'm gonna rock, I'm gonna say I would be more surprised at the AFC West. Okay. I think I would. All right. And You're and say your logic way. is not wrong. I think this is like, your logic makes a lot of sense. I'm gonna just go with the. I'm not, I'm not saying I know this. I mean, this is just. I'm going to go with the logic of there's just more proven commodities in the NFC West that I trust. And I've just got to wait for Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury to join the party where in the AFC West, man, there's a lot. I like, I mean, a lot. I mean, but okay. It's only drew locks. He's only played, you know, a few games. It's his second year. They got a lot of young guys on that team. You know, the chargers, this post Phillip rivers era. You know, and then the Raiders, who I think are the bottom of that division, you know, I don't know if their defense and everything's ready for primetime either quite yet. So I guess I am going to say I would be more shocked if all the AFC West ones went Uh, the NFC West. I could see three going for sure. And maybe maybe an Arizona sneaking in if Kyler Murray and company get hot.
0: Yeah, I'm curious about Arizona to see what what they have this year, second year at Cliff Kingsbury. I'm curious about the Chargers to see. You know, we've talked about the talent they have on the roster. Yeah. Don't necessarily have it at quarterback, but a uh, pretty complete roster. But I'm super interested in uh in Denver um yes, to see what too. they can do. Drew Locke. And this question comes from Ryan Alway, who sent a tweet to us earlier today that said. Why am I going to ask a question? Because you guys never answer my questions anyway. So we went back. Pete found his question that he's upset that we never answered. So we'll make things right for Ryan right here. Uh, He goes, morning, Chris. You truly have the best NFL morning show on TV. How did we not answer this question? If you start your question with that, you're normally like Top
1: of the list. Right. Top of the list. He,
0: He goes, do you think Vic Fangio is the correct fit for Denver? Do you think he's the correct fit for Denver?
1: I do. Yes. Um, I don't know what just happened here. Hold on one second here. I don't know what just happened with my,
0: Oh, that's it. Oh, there Ryan, we go. that's all you get. Ryan, that's all you get. Chris I'm is good. done answering your question. Oh.
1: Uh, Ryan, I, I, first off, thanks for the compliment. You, the man. And uh-huh. if if your questions don't get answered, just start writing Pete D and start yes. giving the middle finger emoji. Correct. and That'll get his attention, right?
0: Yep. Yeah, we would um, we would have answered that question, but Pete never gave it to us. So, yeah, it's Pete, obvious. It's
1: yeah, well, he, he tries to hide the people that like me. He likes to tell me the people that hate me. <laughs> um, But but I do think Fangio is the right fit. I do for a bunch of, you know, first off, he's got a great defensive mind. He's, of course, got a very calm, even keel demeanor. Right. Which I think is always good for a younger football team. And I think that's what Denver would be in my eyes for right now. So, yeah. And they were in need of a a defensive mind. They got talent there. Uh, I just look at him and then, you know, it's not all about Vic Fangio, but I just look at the other aspect of Pat Shermer along with Mike Munchak on the offensive side of the ball. And I just think collectively that's a good team of guys that, I believe in, and I think are good head coaches. I mean, good coaches. You know, you say what you want about Pat Shermer, the head coach. I know, but Pat Shermer, the off offense coordinator, is pretty damn good. Uh, and yeah, I, I I think Vic Fangio is the type of guy to, to lead this team, no doubt.
0: Yeah, had a little bit of a, uh, you know, what was it uh, a couple months ago where there was some backlash for him saying that he didn't think racism was a problem in the NFL and right. like those kind of things. People say it's like, ah, yeah, game has passed him by. is not connecting with his players, but I do think those are also opportunities to learn for Vic Fangio. And I think a right. lot of players and people have respected him throughout the years. And so I don't necessarily see those in you know, a little hiccups as ne- having negative effects going forward, perhaps.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, I, I don't think that was like a totally on, you know, tone deaf, what he was saying, you know, if you read a, the the full context of what he was saying. He was just trying to kind of explain like, you know, an NFL locker room as compared to society is about as good as blending cultures and backgrounds and everything together yep. as you're going to get here in America right now. So I think that's what he was trying to say, not to say that, you know, I mean, listen, we know there's obviously some, some racism in, in any locker room. You always have a guy or two where you're, like damn i don't know if he fits in with us or whatever the hell yeah. that guy really thinks privately but uh, i understood what he was trying to say and and he is the kind of guy that'll learn from it
0: i, I was there in uh, san francisco when he was the defensive coordinator and he was so well respected a lot of people were upset that he didn't get the, yes. the job after uh after harbaugh left i think he would right. do really really well with it um let's talk about the cardinals because um you just uh you just talked about them being a team that you want to watch and see if they can make the progression. Maybe you're not quite as high on them as your buddy Mike Florio is. Um, this one comes from Boss Camp Bradford. It says, do you think Cliff Kingsbury's offense will change now that he has DeAndre Hopkins on the outside? Uh, Pete notes here a couple things. Cardinals used the 10 personnel, four wide receivers, one running back on 32% of their plays last season. The next highest team was Seattle at just 9%. So do you think that they will have some meaningful changes to that offense this year?
1: I I do. The one thing, and listen, Cliff Kingsbury was a big question mark for me going into 2019, because I just wondered, did did that air raid offense have enough to it to be successful in the NFL? And my answer to that question would be, no, probably it does not. But Cliff Kingsbury is smart enough and realized that to where – he started running different concepts and different ideas. I mean, he's a smart guy. So he he's watching Kyle Shanahan's offense and Joshua Daniels and going, damn, I don't have that play in my playbook. Let me steal that because that looks like an easy 10-yard completion every time. So he did a yeah. really good job of that. I don't think the offense is going to look a lot different, though, ultimately. You know, listen, I was in I was encouraged that. You know, what were they in? What did they, they were in shotgun? Were they, is it 82% of the time?
0: A league right? high 82% of the time. The NFL average was 61%. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm shocked it wasn't 98% of the time. 82% of the time was like, whoa, he knows how to get underneath the center and run a play <laughs> like that on the offensive side of the ball. So that was encouraging to me. But no, I don't think the league is going to catch on to him. You know, I don't because I think he will continue to evolve. And now he's starting to get the personnel that makes sense for his scheme to where, okay, even if you do catch on, my players are good enough here too, to where you're still not going to be able to just completely stop us. You know, it's it's they're doing a different style. You know, I, I said today on the show, them and Kansas City are about the only two teams in football that have just gone fuck underneath the center. Fuck the run game. We're dropping back to throw the ball. See if he can stop us. And it's where the rest of the league is. I'm almost going in the opposite direction. It's going, let's pull guards. Let's get a fullback in there. Let's play that style of football. But with Arizona, it makes sense. And, you know, within the offense, the receivers they have, the running back they have, and then the quarterback they have spread the field. Give this guy lanes to throw give this guy area to run and scramble and do all those things. They'll use the screen game as part of their run game. He's an unbelievable screen game thrower. He's got one of the quickest releases in football, strong arm. So, you know, I I think their offense will continue to go upwards all the way here.
0: And I love seeing that the, the different approaches and the fact that they work, right? The Baltimore Ravens, San Francisco 49ers have different approaches to offense, both super successful as far as running the football you can have the total opposite in Seattle when you put the game right on Russell Wilson's arm to have him go make plays with the passing game and Kyler Murray. Uh, this one comes from Ole hog that asks about that Ravens running game. He goes, "Will JK Dobbins take over as the number one back for the Ravens this year. So they're going to be able to run the ball effectively, just like they did last year, a lot with the quarterback, probably with Lamar Jackson. But what do you think about the kid from, uh, from Ohio state? You think he takes over as the number one guy?
1: Yes. Like, I don't know if he'll get as many carries as a Mark Ingram, right? I, it'll be close, but I think when they have some of their bread and brother run plays, right, where they're like, oh, you know, we've schemed up this run game design for this defense this week. They'll favor putting J.K. Dobbins in the game for those type of plays because I think they'll realize he could probably capitalize on more than maybe a Mark Ingram, and don't get me wrong, I'm a big Mark Ingram fan, he's a sledgehammer, nobody hits the hole as hard as Mark Ingram does in football, but at the same time, Mark Ingram's not the same kind of, the type of guy that, oh wait, there's an alley, oh, there he goes, oh, nine yard gain for Mark Ingram, oh great, good run, good run, nine yard gain, J.K. Dobbins, we're going to go, oh, there's an alley, oh! Oh, he's gone. He's gone. It's 80 yards, touchdown. Nobody can catch him. That's where he's gonna be special. So they'll still do a good job of rotating the backs. Ingram will be the trustworthy one, probably more the short yardage guy. Oh, it's the fourth quarter and we're up by four. We're trying to run the clock out. That'll be all Ingram. But when it gets into like, oh, special, let's try to hit a home run. I think they'll favor Dobbins there. And there's don't overdo it with Dobbins. Let's make Mm. him last. You got all these running backs. Let's like, let's make his career in Baltimore more than two or three years. Let's make it five or six. Use Gus Edwards, use Mark Ingram, use some of those other guys to where you can continue this stable of good running backs around Lamar Jackson.
0: I love watching the the Ravens and the, the way they play. Like if you if you had your choice of offenses because it seems like the, you're you're right the trend is is throw the ball it's it's effective throwing the ball and you can do it just do it more and more don't try to like Seattle if they just abandon the run altogether it would probably make their life a whole lot easier and their offense a whole lot better um but when you can run like the ravens do that's super fun to watch very wow. effective it like is. I, what what would you What's your, what's your druthers, you know, just an offense that throws basically 99% of the time or an offense that could run 99% of the time as effectively as the Ravens?
1: Well, I, I like balance. I, I would never, like, if I was a head coach or an offensive coordinator, I would never be a guy that would be, like, 99% throw it. I know I'm an ex-quarterback and all that, but, damn, I grew up with Phil Simms and, you know, Bill Parcells and Joe Boris and Mark Bavaro, and I believe in, you know, a physical attitude as far as playing football that way. I believe in the run game, and you know this from me in our short time of being friends. I believe in the play-action pass game. That's, to me, where you can really expose people big time. So, you know, that's why I love a Shanahan offense or Josh McDaniels because, you know, they have the run game. It's well thought out. They have a zillion play-action passes off it, and then, of course, if they get down by 10 or 12, they can get into that. Oh, we got 99 percent pass plays here and start dishing it around that way. Um, right. You no, know, the, what the Ravens do, you, you know, you need a special quarterback like Lamar Jackson type to do that. Uh, certainly. And and they have that. And they, they built something special there where scheme and personnel really fit perfectly.
0: Yeah, the play-action game, one of the teams that run that a lot, and effectively the Minnesota Vikings uh, last year with Kirk Cousins. This comes from our Sims homies uh, Twitter account that uh, follow us. We want to give them uh, props for that. Florio said he would get a tattoo if Kirk Cousins won Super Bowl MVP. What would make you get a tattoo? So, Chris, what would make you... Get a tattoo. We already know you got one with Kyle matching tattoos. Maybe if the 49ers won a Super Bowl, Corey One Ryan asks, maybe you would get another tattoo for that. Um, but what, what would it be now? What would have to happen for you to get a tattoo?
1: Uh, there's no player that I'm going to go like, oh, I'll get, I, I'm not getting any more tattoos unless it has meaning to me, okay? That's just not happening. Yeah. yeah, I don't care as much as I want my buddy to win a Super Bowl and the 49ers and Kyle and all that. I'm not getting another tattoo that's related to him, okay? That's not happening. So <laughs> yeah. for me to get another tattoo, I would have to be working for an NFL franchise, and then we're going to have to win a Super Bowl while I'm working there. Then yeah. I'd probably get tatted up. That that I could probably do.
0: Yep. Okay, so that's what Pete noted here. You thought maybe you go back into coaching, yep. you win the Super Bowl, and then you'd get a a picture of your offensive coordinator's face on your leg or defensive (laughs) coordinator, right?
1: (laughs) No, not exactly. Not exactly. But yeah, yeah, I'm like, I got a longhorn. I got my buddies from college and a few of their initials, as you know. I got my wife and kids here on my wrist, all right? I mean, after that, right now, tattoos. I mean, maybe I'll get mom and dad on my chest. I don't know. I do feel like I've cheated them that I have friends from college on my body, yet my mom and father aren't on there. That would probably be the next the next thing I get if I did if I did get one.
0: Pete wrote down here if the Lions have an undefeated season for me, what if I would get a tattoo? Because I don't have any tattoos right now. I'm not opposed to it actually. I'm not. I'm not anti it. I think. Yeah, if the Lions had undefeated season, I mean, I wouldn't even go that far. I would say if they win like a playoff game or two, I'd consider it. At this point, <laughs> at this point I have a I have a long-standing bet with uh, my buddy. Uh, and we made this bet, I think it's what, like 18 years ago now or 15 years ago maybe, um, that the Lions, I bet him $100 that the Lions would make it to a Super Bowl in, uh, in Wayne Fonce's lifetime. And so it's like, Wayne Fonts, I love it. He's still, you know, live and kicking. I'm 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 rooting for him and he was such a fun coach for the Lions it because was. Of, like they'd have this rough start and then they would go on this like, you know, winning streak at the end of the season, squeak into the playoffs and uh, you know, one time win a playoff game. Um but and so I'm rooting for I'm rooting for that to happen <laughs> just as a a long, uh, lifelong Lions fan that uh, that wants to see something something happen here. So I'm I'm still holding out that I'm going to be able to cash in on that bet, Chris.
1: Yeah, I don't know about that. Year. We'll see. I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping. Uh, you know, our man. Uh, you know, he lives down in Tampa. I used to see him a lot. Uh, yeah. Right okay. Yeah. yeah. I think he's
0: still he's still down there. Pete notes he's 80 years old. Okay. And seems to be in good health. Saw him at the uh, the Barry Sanders Hall of Fame induction what was that like 10 years ago now? And so I loved Wayne fonts. I hope he lives to be 110 and the lions get to the super bowl and I'll win a hundred bucks from my yeah, buddy. I don't,
1: I don't, well, I don't think it's happening in the next year or two for not okay. sorry, buddy, but I do think you could be like a very fun, exciting team to watch this year. I do yeah. between those two receivers, that tight end, two running backs, you got, I mean, I'm kind of like excited to see what Detroit can do on the offensive side of the ball this year. defense have some question marks. I think they're going to be better, but you're not getting to the Super Bowl quite yet, buddy.
0: Um, No, I don't think I will. So I will not be getting a tattoo, but I'll consider it. Like if the Lions win the Super Bowl, I will, uh, like maybe I'll get a Lions tattoo and then my son and daughter's name right below it. Um, That'll be good. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud,
1: the Marines. What do eight bags of concrete mix? A cooler full of 30-pound sea bass and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available Pro-Access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can
0: only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Pro-Access tailgate available starting spring 2024. Cargo and capacity limited by weight and weight distribution.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.
0: Where to coach a team and win a Super Bowl. Uh, this one comes from Left Lane Twenty One. Do you ever think you'll work in the NFL again? We've kind of discussed that in the past, where you've talked about perhaps getting getting back into it. And now is not the right time. I mean, to consume consume your entire every hour of your uh, every week on football. It's not the right time for you on that. Although we do put you to work at just about the same amount of time at NBC. Uh, so what do you think? You think you'll ever get back into the league? I'm
1: certainly not opposed to it. I mean, again, I'm not, it's not something where I'm like, Oh, I'd like to be in the league in the next four or five years or anything like that. I'm just, I'm enjoying doing this. I do love, I love doing PFT. I love talking to you and doing the podcast, diving into football, you know, being around the family more than I would be if I was being a coach, certainly. So those are all the positives, but yeah, I'm, I'm not ruling that out. You know, I, I think I'll, have some chances, hopefully, as time goes on, to maybe do that. I think coaching is probably a no. Like that's not gonna happen. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think so. Because to go back to coaching, I'm gonna have to start back at probably a low position, you know, a position coach, and then work my way up the total pole, you know, front office. I think that would probably be more realistic at this point in time than than coaching. You know, coaching is one of those yeah. things, you gotta continue to stay in it and grind and continue to learn and and learn more and more about putting game plans together and things like that. And, you know, I've missed that to where I'd have to go back and kind of be a part of that once again to right. relearn it or expand my uh, horizon a little bit.
0: So what roles in a front office kind of intrigue you? What, what responsibilities?
1: Well, yeah, it would have to be, you know, director of pro personnel, GM. I mean, something like that. I'm not going back to like, uh, you know, put numbers in the computer and, and be, you know, the, you know, self-proclaimed bitch boy once again, because that's what I was <laughs> in New England. you know, so, uh, no, I, you know, it would have to be something where I felt like, okay, it's a pretty high ranking job within a front office.
0: Uh, I like that. And if you go and if there's room for me, You're coming. Uh, I'll go, right. I'll be part of the oh, media yeah. department, right. Teams need that. No doubt, I, I'll bring my camera. I have my camera, and I got I got all that stuff. So we'll we'll talk. We're we'll, okay. I talk. think
1: the team's the got cameras. Don't
0: worry, you can leave yours at home. <laughs> <laughs> I got lighting. I got a background. Uh, okay, uh, let's get a couple about quarterbacks here, um, because I think we're we're almost to our our hour minimum. So I think that's good. We've, uh, we've that's a success. Uh, this one comes from John Wilson twenty one. He says, "If Andrew Luck was still in the league, where would he be in your top forty quarterback?" rankings so where would andrew luck be after taking a year off you, you have to assume he may be back to full health um if he wanted to play again so how high would he go
1: i mean i think i had him at number four you know the was he going, that high was he I four, think four or five i want to say he
0: was pete says he was four in your ranks last year
1: yeah i mean And I would think that he'd be somewhere right around that still four, five, Mm. six, seven, you know? uh, Yeah. You know, between him, you know, breeze and Brady who were at nine and 10, you know, two years ago, there was three open spots in the top 10, you know, which led to, you know, of course, Cam Newton, and we had some younger guys get in there as well. But I, you know, again, I think Andrew Luck had, you know, for the most part, turned the corner on health issues, played really good football his last year, you know, uh, being healthy, which was, what, two years ago now. Um, so I, I'd have a hard time thinking he's outside of that. He's just so big. He's such a good athlete, yeah. such a great deep ball thrower. Uh, he's another guy. He's a great guy. Again, could throw the ball probably 76 or 70 yards in the air, but couldn't necessarily impress you with like, whoa, that was a laser with a 20 yard out route. Right. Mm. It's, it's funny that way, but yeah, I think he'd be dancing around that top five, Ahmed.
0: So if you had the choice sight unseen for Andrew luck, you had a team had you needed a quarterback, you needed to fill it and you've got the number five pick and sitting there is Lamar Jackson or Andrew luck. Who do you take?
1: Uh I'd have to go Lamar Jackson right now. I'd have to go oh, yeah. Lamar. Yeah, it's that's really tough. And you know, it's it's hard. Of course, that's always about support system. And yeah. I can't always picture myself, you know, running the offense of Lamar Jackson. That that sometimes is a detractor to me because I just don't have yeah. that knowledge of that offense all the time and certainly did not have that skill set. Um but but nonetheless, Lamar is just about to, I mean, start this sharp incline to this great career. And I think it's safe to say that Andrew Luck was a little bit on a plateau, if not maybe even starting the downhill slope right. of his career, something around there.
0: So who would you take for this year, Andrew Luck or Carson Wentz?
1: Oh, like right now, and we're just saying Andrew Luck's been right out now. of football for a year. I'm going yep. with Carson Wentz. I'm going Carson okay. Wentz.
0: Yep. Matt Ryan or Andrew Luck?
1: Ooh, I'm not going to disrespect any of Matt Ryan's or those guys when they've been playing and one guy took a year off. Andrew Luck's talent is better. He has greater high-end talent than Matt Ryan, but as we sit here this second, I would probably just give him the edge. Who? Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, okay. Yep.
0: We're going to nail this ranking down. Okay, Dak Prescott or Andrew Luck?
1: Ooh, we're getting picky here. All (laughs) right, all right.
0: We're going to nail this ranking down. We're going to figure out exactly where he slots into your top 40.
1: So, let's see. We got Dak there. Then who do we got coming after that? Um, Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford. And then Cam Newton. Then Cam Newton. Okay. I might put I'm, I'm really putting your feet to the I coals here. I might put here. him 10 and then, mo- then knock down Cam to 11. Okay, okay?
0: Right. that
1: would probably be a safe way to say it, yes. I don't right. think Andrew Luck would come back and be like, oh, I'm Captain Andrew. I forgot how to throw the football and call a play and read a defense. I don't think he's that far removed. So yeah. I don't think it would be a, a big drop-off.
0: Um, all right. So uh, Pete just gave us the headline. Chris Sims disrespects Cam Newton, drops him out of the top 10. For a guy <laughs> yeah. who, I mean, I guess they both haven't really done a whole lot of football playing in the past. Uh, no, technically. Well, yeah, I guess,
1: uh, Cam played a little yeah. early last year, but you're right. It's not been not been much by either one of them.
0: Well, stay with the quarterbacks. Fun guy asks, uh, Nick Foles has turned six good quarters into multiple jobs and legendary status in Philly. Am I wrong to think that Trubisky has a shot to either win the job outright or take over midseason? So I guess he's assuming that Nick Foles is going to win the job out of training camp. And uh, what do you think? Is is there a chance that Nick Foles falls apart and the resurrection of the career of Mitch Trubisky uh, can happen in Chicago?
1: The the Nick Foles thing is fascinating. I mean it is. It's it's one year, Chip Kelly's first year of his career at a playoff run. And, you know, you talk to a lot of people, and I even even hear players say it, oh, he's better than Carson Wentz. And yeah. I wanna be like, no, he's not. He's not. You're just letting a three-game run totally influence your brain. Um first off, I don't think it's a crazy thought. I don't. I think it's a it's a it's a Legitimate thought, you know. the The big thing is, Trubisky's physical ability is better than Nick Foles. You know, he's got a stronger arm. He's a better athlete. He's got quicker feet and all that. But he just doesn't know how to play the position the way Nick Foles does. And he's not the consistent thrower that Nick Foles is. You know, Foles has a has a good arm. It's not great, but he's great in the pocket with people around him. He's got great anticipation, and he's got you know, great location as far as where to put the ball and let my guy get it to where no one gets it. And those are things Trubisky struggles with. So, you know, like, is it crazy to think that? No, but I got to see some of it first to be able to be like, oh, I think that can happen. You know, no, right now, Mitchell Trubisky is one of those guys where it's like, oh, he's open? Okay, there's the hole. I'm going to throw it in the hole. Nick Foles is like, ooh, wait. Wait. He's not in the hole yet, but I see the hole, and he's going to be open. Let me just throw it up in there into that hole, and boom, oh, completion. And that's where he's nuanced and kind of special that way. And Trubisky has none of that, let alone sometimes even when it's wide open, he can miss the throw. Uh, And hopefully he's cleaned that up and, and, you know, can make things competitive or win his own job back.
0: I wonder how much of this for quarterbacks, too, is that it takes a while for it all to click. I remember, I mean, I was never at the level of an elite athlete, but I remember as a basketball player, like I was never that good of a basketball player. I was pretty athletic. Um, But then I was in college, like I played through my sophomore year in high school and that was it. Then I got into college and I was like, wait, it's all of a sudden clicking like how to get open and and running off screens. And it's like, I wonder how much for Mitchell Trubisky is going to be when he looks back on his years here in the NFL or at least his early years in the NFL is be like, Oh man, why didn't it just click for me sooner? And, and for some players that probably just never comes Chris.
1: No, it doesn't. You're right. And you know, Cause the ability
0: just, is there. Like you said, like the ability is, he's got the ability to do it.
1: The ability is there. Yep. Sometimes you're not mature enough mentally to put it all together. Like you're saying to go like, wait, what? I under, you know, I get it now damn, I wish I could go back two years ago and, yeah. and get it and like put myself in there now. You know, uh, yeah, there, there's, those are all aspects of, you know, being an athlete and and uh, I had something else I was going to add to that. And I lost my thought about where I was going to go with that. But, mm. you know, yeah, I, I mean, hopefully he can get that. Oh, here is where I was going to go with it. Also, the other thing that helps those type of things is to have a system and a support system around you to build you into that person. Tom Brady didn't go to New England and was like, hey, Bill, this is Tampa 2, this is cover 2, this is cover 3, I'll throw to this guy. They build him into Tom Brady. They went, okay, hey, Tom, just get us in the right run play. You know, just get us out of the huddle. Hey, Tom, here, just read this. If you read this guy, hit that guy. And all of a sudden, then you can start adding more onto the plate and more onto the plate and more onto the plate. And then the player starts to grow and realize more and more things he can do too because he gets comfortable and the coaches have, you know, what do I want to say, accentuated his growth, his belief in self, all of those things. And that's where people miss out on this sometimes. You know, that's where I argue about, you know, Sometimes there's not a big difference between a guy we look at as the greatest quarterback of all time and the guy we look at as the 10th greatest quarterback of all time. I want to go, no, there's no difference. One just had a great system in place to make you think he was that one number one quarterback, and the other guy didn't have shit to help him out, and that's why you think he's the 10th best quarterback.
0: Yeah, you know, coaching, offensive line, all those things. It's why it's fascinating just to, you know, everyone always thinks the cream rises to the top. And it's like oh, eventually, if you know, if you're meant to be a great quarterback, you're going to be a great quarterback eventually. Well, sometimes it no. just never happens, especially in football, right? When you have so many, so few, limited, you know, opportunities for some quarterbacks, it might be a year or two or a few games. Right? So it's like, no, that's not enough time for the cream to to rise to the top. Um, let's talk about you as a quarterback again. Uh Self scout thyself. This one comes from uh, Compass Traveler. He says, what was your strength and weakness as a quarterback? So your strength and weakness back when you were in your prime as a pro quarterback, Chris. My strength was definitely
1: my arm. I mean, there's no doubt. You know, before I hurt my spleen, I don't think anybody would argue that, you know, my arm was pretty damn special. Uh, I could launch it. I could throw it hard. I could throw it sidearm. I could do all those type of things. You know, uh, I think if, I had a look at weaknesses. There's two things that I think that if I could go back in time and change my game a little bit, I would go quicker release, like shorten my motion up, right? Uh, I think that would be the first thing I would go, oh, I need to change that aspect of my game. Now, back in that time, the quick pass game, the screens, all those things, they weren't invoked. People weren't obsessed with the quick release as much as they are now. Uh but but nonetheless, mine still even then could have been quicker. And then, you know, I think the other thing is I wish I would have scrambled more, moved around the pocket mm. more. You know, I was a little bit of a, I, I think a better athlete than maybe I even gave myself credit for at times. But I also got a little into like, oh, I'm big and strong. I'm just gonna sit in here in the pocket and throw the ball and screw who's around me. And it just Unless you have a great offensive line and a great support system, it's just it's not realistic this day and age in the NFL or even my day and age in the NFL. I wish I would have moved around the pocket and hopped around and manipulated the pocket a little bit more like we see quarterbacks of today doing a whole lot more. I think those are the two things that jump out to me.
0: Was some of that getting caged in? Because I know some coaches are pretty strict about, you know, get it out, three steps, timing. You know, Gruden may have been that way. It's like part of it, you know, you got to break through that mold of you, you want to do what the coach is saying, but you also don't want to be a robot and you want to be your uh, own player. I mean, how difficult uh, is 100%, that? A hundred
1: percent. A hundred percent. Yes. And there were times where I found myself being a robot in that Gruden offense sometimes because there's so much on you mentally and there's so much mm-hmm. you're doing. You're going, okay, he taught me to do this, 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 and this. Okay, check. I did it. Did, did, did All right. Oh, wait, but I forgot to just play football. Right. And like, wait, there's a guy coming at me. Forget what coach said. I got to make him miss and make another play or do that. And that, to me, again, was something I really appreciated about playing for Josh McDaniel and the New England way. You know, they were into let the players play. Don't overcoach at practice. We've coached them in the meeting rooms. Now let them go out and play. And when we get back in the meeting room, we'll coach the mistakes then. But let's not have them out here at practice second-guessing themselves and looking mm-hmm. at the sideline going like, did I do it right, coach? Is that right? Or am I – You know. Uh, and, and that was always big. Like Bill would butt in at times with the coaches and be like, let them play. Let them play. Because he mm-hmm. knew in a game you weren't going to be able to be like – wait hold on we didn't go over this check this code what's the check
0: right right and uh, did your airpod go out right there one, one out i gotta go to the other. <laughs> that's it that's the hour. Uh, that that usually is the hour and 20 mark although i don't think we've gotten to that point here Chris. we're at, hour and, oh, we're at hour, hour and 17 we're at hour and 17 we're almost there probably almost hour there. and
1: 20 before we even uh you know actually started recording
0: all right, well let's go. Let's go one more then, Chris. Cool. Because we don't want to, we don't want to deplete both of your AirPods. When we go into the second AirPod, it's just like you know what, this is time to wrap it up. And so <laughs> this one comes from S. Lucas two sixteen, and he says, "This is a good one to end on." What's your favorite pizza? He goes, "What is your favorite pizza for for Chris Sims?" So a chance to give a shout out, perhaps to your local parlor. Um, but what do you like? I'm a thin crust. Thin crust type of pizza, cheese,
1: and then may you know, really I'm a plain cheese guy most of the time. Every now and then a pepperoni or maybe a bacon on top. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like that's living. To me, (laughs) the best pizza pie I know of is Arturo's pizza pizza in Soho down in New York City. That's Uh. like my go-to. Like literally have driven there with my wife. May have smoked a daddy cigar, we order a pizza and walk to a park and just sit there and eat the pizza. Okay. I mean, yeah. to me, that's good living right there. That's real good living. But I'm I'm a thin crust plain cheese guy most of the time.
0: We had pizza together uh, a while ago, and it was I think that was like thin crust, right? It was pretty thin was. crust pizza. It was. it was
1: thin crust. And and, yeah, and we learned
0: about leoparding. We remember learning about leoparding while we were there too, the bubble. Yes. It comes up on and that's a sign of a good dough that we was have left. And
1: I can't remember what that really place good. was called in Stanford, Connecticut, but it was very good.
0: It was good. Um, my favorite, I am a uh, you know, growing up in Michigan where we basically live on fast food um and chain pizza places. So Little Caesars was huge in Michigan, so I love the crazy bread of Little Caesars, and uh, now there's not as pizza, many little pizza. Caesars around here. <laughs> yeah, pizza pizza. Um, I've transitioned to, uh, Papa John's and Domino's, which I do think Domino's, I'll give Domino's some credit here. Underrated pizza, uh, good flavor on the crust. And, uh, I think they, uh, they deserve a mention if we're going to talk about pizzas there, but that's that's me. I'm a chain guy.
1: What? I mean, yes. Stop. Stop. You're in the Northeast. You're (laughs) like, it's the Mecca of pizza. Okay. Okay. Don Corleone probably lives right down the street from you. All right. Okay. (laughs) Eat the local fucking pizza. All right. I'm telling you, it's going to be better than Domino's and Pizza Hut. Like, listen, I've had those too. They're good, but they're not as good as like, you know, some, some old Italian guy in the back tossing the dough and making his own special sauce and doing that. All right. That, that you can't beat that. I'm sorry. Domino's and Pizza Hut don't have that recipe. So stop, Stop
0: I've made you, I've made you mad. I've made Pete mad on our little chat here. He goes, Domino's, what is wrong with you, Ahmed?
1: I mean, come on. I don't go to like, I don't go to Texas and eat some crappy chain barbecue place, right? Like you wouldn't (laughs) do that. I no, I, I probably
0: to, would do that. Uh, I would do that, you, not oh, knowing. Oh,
1: we gotta fix you. No wonder you're sweating. It's how I grew back. up. It's how I. No one. I you would are. go <laughs> after
0: uh, <laughs> after football practice, like three times a week. I would go. My my mom would take me through the McDonald's drive-through. It's how we grew up. It's how we lived our life in the Midwest, Chris. We just drank soda, went to fast food restaurants, and we just we got big. <laughs> That's what we got. We got large. We did do that. <laughs>
1: That's all right. Well, when you're that age, who cares? I mean, when you're in That's high school true. and you're playing sports, it does twenty piece chicken nugget, two large French fries, and a chocolate shake. I mean, it might as well have been a vegan protein shake at that age. It didn't even matter. Hundred percent. Yeah.
0: Right. So good. And I kind of want to have it right now again. Does all right. Um, hey, I do want to mention here, and I, I'm it sucks that I'm doing this at the end because I think it's uh, a lot, a lot of good stuff. So many other podcasts that are out there. Peter King's got uh, his podcast out there. Has been doing work. I know he's he's traveling and will be traveling coming up here in the next uh, few days and weeks. Uh, he wrote about a day in the life of uh, the Texans, so that is out there right now. Also got an interview with Randall Cobb and Peter King. It's like the most in-depth NFL reporter out there. You like click on a on a Peter King story, Monday Morning Quarterback, uh, you know, Football Morning in America. That he's doing now with us. It's just like it goes on forever. You just—it's like infinite scroll, like a Twitter feed. It just—you keep scrolling, and he's keep—he's still writing.
1: Well, he's—he's he's amazing, and then you know, this is the time of the year. Like it, it you know, I'm hurting because there's going to be no preseason football things like that, you know. But I love the Peter the Peter King training camp tour. I mean, I love it. Every year you learn little nuances about teams that you might have not thought of, or yeah. you start to get a feel for the vibe in that building and what they think of themselves and all those type of things. So, you know, yeah, I'm glad. He's getting on the road next week. I know he's got, like, Tampa, Atlanta, and a few teams down south coming up, which I'll be pumped to see, and I'm glad he's getting to, to get back out on the, uh, the tour. I'm not going with him. Last year I got to go with him a little bit, and it was quite the experience, let me tell yeah. you.
0: Oh, we should have a tell-all. We need to have the tell-all podcast of being in a car for (laughs) hours with Peter King.
1: Oh my Uh, gosh.
0: All right. So listen to that. And if you're in Stamford, Connecticut and want some pizza, you can go to Cole house pizza. Oh, that was it. We went to, that's what Pete's telling us. We went to there. And so that was very good pizza there. And we got no, we got no money by saying that, but if they are listening and want to give us money for saying that we'll take it.
1: Sure, we'll take it, or just a free pizza. I'll take that too.
0: That's true. <laughs> That's true. That's what Pete said too, or free pizza. All right, Chris. Well done. Well, well done by the homies again, giving us so many uh, good questions. Ways to go, and giving us stuff to think about that that we hadn't thought about. It takes our brains in, in places that we didn't even know we were going to go.
1: Yeah, no, it is. It's great conversation. I do love the questions. It does. It makes me think of things that I might not, you know, normally think of just sitting here. And I want. You know, I think we might have hit on something a little. We got into the little nuances of X's and O's today. And because mm-hmm. there's no preseason football and I won't be doing that, that's, hey, to the homies out there, anybody listening to the pod, send in questions about schemes, certain plays, whatever it may be. I would love to break it down. I'm bored. I need something to watch anyways. So uh, I, I think that could be something we could maybe stumble upon here over the next month and, and maybe, uh, you know, throw some knowledge out to the, the, the listeners of the podcast
0: maybe like best best plays like you know Chiefs best play and like what it is you know and sure. like, maybe like in your mind what would be their best play or like for the yeah, Ravens right. yes right. what would how or, would you design the best play for this team
1: yeah sure you could do that you could ask me about a specific play that happened during the year I'll go back and watch the film and give mm-hmm. a breakdown I mean any of those things, I I welcome it. I'm I'm a I'm a frustrated coach that uh, loves to break those kind of things down.
0: We're having our pre-show meeting right here at the end of this pod, but I like it. That's a that's I like it. good idea. So we look forward to that. But that's it. We're done, Chris. We made it to the All finish line.
1: All right, baby. We'll be back on Thursday. I think you're back in the fold. I hope you are.
0: I'm yeah, sure. I think so. Well, hi, we're hi. getting Pau- Pauly B is going to be coming back because we're getting him back. He was doing a lot of lacrosse here over the last. Right. Uh, Few weeks so he'll get back in the mix. I think Bill Big Phil will be here, so we'll see. I'm on standby, I'm just in my home office, just sitting here all the time. And I just turn the camera on if you need me. So if you need me, I'll just turn my camera on.
1: Okay, sounds good. Next week, we're gonna go do it in person though at NBC Sports. Oh, that's right.
0: Yes, right, yes, right. I'm, I'm okay. up for that. All right, good, good.
1: All right, everybody, you know what time it is. It's time for me and Ahmed to clap, clap it, it up.
0: up. Well clap done, up, everyone.
1: Thanks, everybody. Be good out there for Sin's button Podcast. I'm the three. You're the man. Peace.